0: Welcome back to
1: Season 4 Finale. Yeah,
0: I've almost said Season 5 a lot. I about S- did too. Season 4 <laughs> Finale, are you excited?
1: Of Cryptids of the Corn Podcast.
0: Oh yeah, I am the great and powerful and energetic mystery.
1: You sound like knockoff macho man, Randy savage you mystery. You say all the
0: time, but everybody at home says I sound like different people.
1: <laughs> I just hear that. I think it was the oh yeah. Uh, I'm J Clone 37. Woo!
0: Are you excited? Oh, season four finale. Pumped. The big one. We're here. Every time, I don't know what we're going to do for season five finale because they keep getting bigger. Yeah. And it's killing me.
1: Slowly, everything is slowly but surely. This
0: has been like four weeks of research, and I still feel like I'm leaving a lot off the table.
1: We'll let the audience decide. Almost
0: 200 pages. That's a lot. Yeah, you're telling me.
1: And and I have to, well, I have to be here for all of it. Yeah. <laughs> oh no.
0: All right. So bef- I'm getting excited. I'm getting excited. I'm getting
1: excited. It's finally here. It's
0: finally here. I I love season finales. I love the I love the season openers too. To me, they're always special. They're fun because they it's I we I don't know when we how we kind of started doing that, but it just is something that you know means a lot to me to okay. do these heavy hitters. Uh, and do them like thoroughly and talk about all this stuff, but I have a little bit of front of house stuff since we're going to be doing this for so many episodes. I just want to get some stuff out before because you're going to be hearing this for like a month.
1: It's a multi part season finale.
0: It always is. Uh, but what is the topic? I'll let you introduce it. Ooh, specifically? Yes,
1: we are going to cover the Uinta Basin.
0: Yes, 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 yes. And as far as a dyslexic person, okay, this area sucks. Oh, okay. Because Uinta is spelled like, like unit uh Yeah. But it's not spelled like the Utes or Utah or the Uthal tribe, like the Uthal region. Uthal? Yeah. There's a lot of weird like U-T-H oh, things okay. here that are all spelled different. Interesting. So for research, it was fun.
1: And there's probably a meaning behind that Oh, yeah. it, it's It's- yeah, To uh, make research hard.
0: Yes, yeah. yeah, so there you go. Uh, season finale. So I just want to take a second, guys, and tell all of you- Thank you. Yep. Countless support, the love we get from you guys. It means the world to us to get this far into podcasting. Yeah. I mean, to be nationally ranked, internationally ranked. It's weird. To have so much love, it's just, it means the world. I just wanted to take a second before we really get into this and just say thank you.
1: It's good to acknowledge that. So, yes, thank you, everybody.
0: Because we wouldn't have anything without you guys.
1: That's, that's true.
0: Speaking of which, we just hit a milestone.
1: Ooh, we finally did it!
0: Oh yeah, one million downloads.
1: One million.
0: About the first week of January. Oh, all right, sweet. Uh, we would have hit it in December, but Christmas, you know. Right? Yeah, the Christmas. Everybody's everybody's numbers drop for Christmas because you guys are at home hanging out with families, not which is to good, work, which is how it should be. Yep. Uh, like I said, so at the beginning of season. Five, you'll hear the new intro and outro. So this series will be the last time you hear the old intro and outro. All right. Uh, We try to do them every, uh, I think our goal is every two seasons we'll update them because there's just funny clips and stuff like that. Um, I want to say when this episode comes out, there is the Uinta Basin t-shirt is available on our website.
1: Breaking news.
0: Uh, I got mine ordered already, but I'm cheating because I have access. I didn't even know we
1: had art for it.
0: Yeah, you'll see it. It's got an amazing skinwalker with a big elk head and orbs of light and he's shaking at the sky like the big Lebowski.
1: Oh wow. Hey, I'm wearing a big Lebowski
0: shirt under this one. <laughs> uh but yeah, so all that. I'm sorry everybody skip forward a few minutes if you know, were ranting too much, but we won't there's no yeah, in openings to the rest of this. Um also be on the lookout sometime in mid-March for a Kickstarter, if you guys feel so led. We are planning on going out to hunt the Trinity's Alps giant salamander in 2025. We have some DNA labs that are backing us. We have some state herpetologists that are coming with us, which are people that study amphibians for a living. Yep. And we got some amazing underwater photographers that are coming with us. And what did you just buy?
1: Oh, oh, I'm glad you mentioned that because I still have to make a payment on it. Uh, an underwater rover A, a very high end
0: yes. underwater camera drone.
1: Which I'm glad you mentioned that.
0: Yeah, well, when we take our break, yes, and also thank you to all the patrons and paid members on the app. Uh, so we have our paid member space on the website, and we have Patreon. They're the exact same thing. Just pick which one you like if you want to support us in that way. So yeah, but keep an eye out for the Kickstarter. Uh, if it gets enough support, we'll do it. If not, it's fine. It happens, but it's just something that you know it's going to be. It's going to be exciting.
1: Oh yeah, I'm super looking forward to it, and we're gonna make some. Big uh, discoveries, I feel. I and think the, we'll find it. I really I think do so too.
0: I think we'll find it, and it's important for it because it means it'll have legal protection. Yep. Because uh, its habitat is getting eaten up right now.
1: And we have the crew, the best crew assembled ever in the world to do it, in I, my opinion.
0: I think so. I mean,
1: we just need, uh, I guess, the time and money and energy. It's, really and, just,
0: it's the money and time to go do it.
1: Right. Yeah, true. But if we got the money, side we'll make of the it. Yeah, I know.
0: Like it would it the cost would be almost nothing if we were a Californian podcast. Don't,
1: that'd be Yeah, that'd be awesome be right there. Because but the
0: problem is it's 3,000 miles away.
1: Right. But we're going to get there. Oh, we'll get eventually. There.
0: All right. Enough talk. You ready?
1: Let's start this thing.
0: So this first episode is going to be all about the basin's geology, some of the weird stuff that already kind of happens there with okay. geology and the Native American history. Okay, and all I'll playing make, factors. Yes, and I'm going to make this comment again when we get to the Native American history part of this episode. Uh, I'm not a Native American history expert, so I've used several websites to pull from. A couple of them are ran by Native American organizations. So that's where I'm getting that history from. If any of it's wrong, please write in. I'd be happy to correct any of it. I'm just not an expert. I'm not a geologist either, so. Well. We'll get to fish.
1: <laughs> that comes later. It does. I believe it.
0: So the Uinta Basin and Mountain Range. So there's Uinta Mountains and the Basin. So the mountains are right below the basin, or the mountains are right above the basin.
1: Okay, that Uh, makes more sense.
0: They're located in the northeast corner of the state and part of a large field geographic area uh, known as Colorado Great Plateau Province. So this is all one of the part of Colorado's Great Plateau, even though it's Utah. This is the northeast corner of Utah.
1: Northeast corner, Utah. Okay.
0: Pretty much. I'm looking you it went it up, to Basin so like, is pretty much the whole corner. Okay. I'm going to be real honest. Uh, it's a huge area. Okay. Full of jam-packed, full of strange phenomena.
1: Yeah, that's an understatement.
0: Uh, uh Physiogeographic. I can't say that word right because it's like two big words put together, but there you go. Physiographic? Yeah. Okay. Physical geographic.
1: Okay, gotcha.
0: There you go. I'll just split it up. I hate when we combine words. The Uinta Mountains are a folded and faulted accumulation, which is a successful uh, succession of a geological process of basically push and pulling to make mountains. Okay. Uh, They're about 150 miles long, and they are are oriented in an east-westerly direction. They extend from Herbert Valley on the west coast from the Cross Mountains in Colorado to the east. So they're a nice about 150-long mountain range. They are about 30 miles wide- The Uintas contain some of the highest mountain peaks in the state. The famous one is King's Peak, being the highest at thirteen thousand five hundred and twenty feet. The mountains receive an annual uh, precipitation of about thirty inches a year, which is not a lot. You know, we're (laughs) talking about annual precipitation.
1: Oh, okay, they're just thirty inches the whole year. Yeah,
0: okay, but they're not. We'll talk about it later. But they're not dry either, as far as what you think is a desert. There's a lot of water. Okay, the mountains receive an. uh, During the Pleistocene era. The Uintas are uh, extremely uh, glaciated. There are a lot of glaciers here.
1: Okay. At uh, the, like, what, the top of the mountains or something?
0: No, like coming into the valleys and the plateaus and stuff. The whole area was at a lot of glaciers.
1: Oh, oh, gotcha. In the past. And this
0: was what formed a lot of the lakes. or from uh, So the process of dominated by mountains and glaciers. Some of the like larger lakes today serve as a port and reservoir for the Wastash Fort, which is an area. In oh. addition... To the great salt lakes, the Uenta Mountains are perhaps the most important physiogeographic feature in northern Utah, in the centra- and, and, and central and in central intermountain regions. The Uintas are essential to the historic and economic development of northern Utah. They are a source for several of the most important Wustache Fort rivers and streams, including the Bear, the Weber, and the Provo. They are also an important source of water, such as the Green River and its major tributaries of the Colorado River. The Uinta contains Ashley and Wasatch National Forest, as well as the High Utoll prim- Primitive Area. Uh, so there's two National Forests and the High U- uh, Uinta Primitive Area, which as far as what I can look at is kind of like a National Forest. Okay. It's, it's weird. There's different rules with it is and it stuff like that. Like a reservation or something? I don't think it's a full reservation or anything like that. Like I said, there's a lot of weird rules that I was having trouble looking into for that terminology. Okay. But for our purposes, it's basically a wildlife area.
1: Okay. Let's just call it a wildlife preserve. Yeah. It's not
0: what it is, but for our purposes, it's close enough. Okay. The Uinta Basin lies, like I said, uh, the Uinta Basin lies just south of the Uinta Mountains. Mm -hmm. The southern rim of the basin was formed by the Tarvapot Plateau of the Book Cliffs. And the western rim is formed by the Wastash Mountains. The central portion of the basin is at an elevation of about 5,000 to 500,000. No, sorry, from 5,000 to 500, 5,000 to 5,500 feet.
1: Okay. It's dyslexic. Right. Yeah, no, I get it. Oh, Question though, what makes something, what's the difference between a basin and a mountain? Like where's the. This... No, basin's low. Okay. Low, flat. Low and flat.
0: Mountains, high, tall. High in peaks. Okay, okay. So normally they're, they are co-occurring. Okay. Uh, so basin's a lot bigger than like a valley. Okay. So here- Maybe you know, that's where I'm- When we're looking at, like on our side of the country, when you go to Appalachian, the mountains- Okay. We have a lot of valleys. You know, you can see both sides of the mountains. Right, yeah. The basin you can't. There's mountains there. And gotcha. big, large flats. Flat spot. But there's also plateaus out there and-
1: So that's part of the basin as well? Yeah.
0: Okay. It's yeah, yes. Asphalt Ridge divides the Utah portion of the basin into two unequal parts between Asphalt Ridge and the Utah Colorado state line in Ashleyville or Ashley Valley, named for William H. Ashley, an important fur trader in the region. Okay. Uh, like here's a crazy: the average annual precipitation for the Uinta Basin is less than eight and a half inches.
1: Oh, okay. That's a lot less. So the mountains than have about 30, thirty, yeah,
0: and they have less than eight.
1: Don't don't the mountains like break up that though? Is that why? What? Like the participation amount?
0: It's the way they're running. Not really. Oh, okay. so we're not talking about like the Rockies and the Appalachians catch clouds, right? Essentially, and make rain. These are running the other way, so they kind of go just go beside them. Oh, okay. Uh but nevertheless, the basin is well watered, especially for what you consider desert. The Straw Bay River drains from the eastern slopes of the Wasatch Mountains. The southern flanks of the Utahs, or sorry, the Uentas, are drained by Current Creek, uh, Dutchess River, the Lake Creek, and the Uinta River, Ashley Creek, and the Big and Little Brush Creeks. Okay. So there's a lot of water coming out of the mountains. The basin is and down full of the, water.
1: Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. A lot of rivers and creeks and whatnot.
0: Especially when you kind of look at it, the basin is full of life. There are parts that are sure, there's, it's called scrub desert. Okay. So full of brush and bushes and stuff like that. Typical stuff you think yeah. of when but desert. but it's not, it's definitely, people have this image that deserts are dead. Right, yeah. And they're actually full of life, just very hardy life. Yeah. We would not do well in the desert. Uh, a lot of the Native Americans did extremely well.
1: Right. If you know how to survive in it, yeah. you're good.
0: Any questions so far? Um, no Everybody asked for a geology lesson
1: yeah, I mean, I think this is important. It's good to get you know the lay of the land before uh, you really start talking about what's happening on the land.
0: Exactly. The southern portion of the basin contains fewer streams uh, and are much smaller in volume to those of the northern portion. Uh, the green so one of the big one is the Ori and the green are also joined by the Duchess River and the White River, which flows from the east, okay. Uh, but So there's still water down there, just yeah. less than the northern part, because the northern part's closer to the mountains. Right, makes sense. Based on the modified Cooper scale for individual climate zones, the Uintas and the mustache and the southwest portion of the Book Cliffs are classified as undifferenti- undifferentiated highlands, and the Uinta Basin is as steep. Okay. Those are just type of, like, basically climate zones. Uh, you use it when you buy plants in the back of your book. Oh, okay. Gotcha. The basin averages— between 80 and 160 frost-free days a year. Okay. Not a lot.
1: No, that's about...
0: And that's another misconception with like deserts. A quarter of the year, maybe? Yeah, that's another misconception with deserts. They get cold. Oh, very, yeah. Uh, they don't, yeah. They get really cold. Like freezing, yeah. So at max 160 days is not a lot of frost-free days.
1: No, it's not at all.
0: While the mountains, on average, get much less than 40 free frost days a year.
1: Oh, so it's even worse there. They get
0: about a month in the mountains of no frost. Wow, okay. The mountains are cold. Yeah. And full life. I wonder if they have
1: any cloud berries there. I always wanted to try them.
0: Maybe. The Uinta Basin and Mountains possess an abundance of prehistoric remnants as well. The southern district of the Jensen on, yeah, isn't that weird, on the Green River, it's famous for dinosaur quarries. Ooh. The area was first discovered in 1909 by geologist Earl Douglas uh, from, the, from the, Carter, the Carnegie Museum. Okay. During the next several years, Douglas and other excavators hauled an est- or for the Eastern Museums tons and tons of dinosaur fossils from the Morris Foundation of the Upper Jurassic Age. In 1915, President Woodrow Wilson set aside 80 acres as a national monument. Uh, intensive study and work continues on the Dinosaur National Monument, nine miles north of Jensen, and thousands of visitors each year. Hmm. Uh, if we ever get out west, I'd like to visit it. Because it's kind of, as far as the dinosaur quarries go... Yeah. It's one that's not talked about a lot.
1: It's a dinosaur tourist trap.
0: Because there's like a... <laughs> the Hell Creek Formation is definitely the most famous in the U.S. Okay. Like, up in the Dakotas. Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, by, a, by a mile. It's... But this is one that's still decently famous. Woodrow Wilson saw it as a national monument to preserve.
1: Well, that's it means it's significant.
0: Yeah. And it's Upper Jurassic, so that's there's a lot of cool stuff in the Jurassic. And at least... so. We're going to talk about paleo-Indian cultures. Uh, there's at least two sites in the area from 12,000 years ago to 8,500 years ago. Okay. They've been located in the Uinta Basin. The people were primarily hunters of mammoth, bison, and other big game. Uh, the cultures there specialized in large game hunting. During the Archaic period, which is 8,500 to 2,500 uh, years ago, the basin was occupied by the Plateau Artaic people. Uh, people are gatherers as well as hunters. Most recently, people identified in the Fremont culture have occupied the basin. Okay. And that's their words, not mine. Native Americans don't occupy. They live there. Uh, gotcha. Like, you know what I mean?
1: <laughs> right, yeah. Uh,
0: the Sorry. The Azuian culture and the people from the Fremont culture lived in semi-subterranean shelters called kiefs or kivas. You are right, though. like <laughs>
1: The way they wrote that. Yeah, they occupied this land. No,
0: no, they... They lived there.
1: That's where they they lived their whole lives.
0: They were dependent primarily upon corn, agriculture, and hunting of smaller game and fish. Uh, So those are a lot of the ancient Native American cultures that lived there. Mm -hmm. We're going to go a lot into the history of the the modern-ish ones that lived there. Okay. The Navajo and the Utes.
1: Yes, the ones we're more used to hearing about. Yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely, especially when we start talking about the paranormal and the ufological events that are happening in the Uinta Basin. Those are the guys that are, we're going to talk about. Culture, are any questions so far? Um, No, it's it's pretty uh, straightforward so far.
1: Learning a lot about this basin.
0: Just some extra history. Uh, the French—oh, no, sorry. Father Eskiment was an expedition visited the Uinta Basin in September of 1776. Uh, then again, there was a French-Canadian trapper— from 1822 to 1840. Uh, yeah, basically. And that's uh, actually who some of the stuff was named after. Oh, the cool. Spanish trails are made their fortunes by trapping many of the beaver and trading with the uh, the, Ute, the Uinta tribes. The Northern Utes uh, Indian Reservation was established in 1861 by pres, uh, President. The United States opened the reservation for homesteading by non-Native Americans in 1905. Oh, boy. So not good. Yeah. Uh, Here in a little bit, you'll hear a lot of the Native Americans, as we know very well, pretty much always get the short end of the stick. Yeah, you think? And they were kind of pitted against each other. Yeah, For a reason. Uh, Oh, yeah, because it's just then the U.S. government could come in and kill whoever was left. Exactly.
1: Yeah, I don't like that wording. Oh, here's homesteading land for all you non-Native Americans.
0: It's the reservation that they made a a couple decades before.
1: For them, yeah. Now, the only people who can live here are not you people.
0: Man, it's like, yeah, the Native Americans made that land pretty nice. All right, let's move in. Yeah. It's ours now. Let them clear the scrub land. Gosh, it's so awful. Uh, I had to take a drink. What's your thoughts so far?
1: Uh, I mean, it's a lot of uh, the waters and and rivers and creeks running through. It's interesting It's it's
0: weird. There's a lot of water. Yeah. A lot of wildlife. Uh, It's actually a pretty productive area. Right, yeah. Uh, just some modern history. The local economy, uh, once based on agriculture and mining, has diversified. Uh, energy extraction and tourism are now mo- uh, the major industries. Mm. In order to move oil out of the region, a new railroad was proposed and construction in the basin. In addition, the, U- uh, the Utah State University operates branch campus at Vernal and Roosevelt, extending educational opportunities in the previous undiverse, or un- underserved region of Utah. Mm. Uh so Roosevelt and Vernal are high hitters and when we start talking about stuff. When we get to UFOs and stuff like that, I'm gonna say those names a lot. Okay. Any questions?
1: No, no. I'm let's just keep, keep going. Yeah, just keep, let's power through this. So educational episode.
0: Uh people had a lot of questions about the geology of this. And I'm going into that a little more. If it gets too much, you just let me know. Okay. Because I didn't know how much people wanted.
1: Well, but if I have questions, I'll when just... When I
0: asked, that's what everybody said, was geology. Uh, the Winter Basin was formed from geological subterranean basins and are the source of commercial oil and gas production. Right now, there's not a whole lot of oil and gas being pulled out of there. Yeah, I wonder why. I Yeah, there's there's several reasons. Uh, there's also a separation of the Pleistocene Basin by the Douglas Creek Arch. Uh, both basins are formed during the Lidamint Oligarchy which is just a geological time frame. I was just saying, I don't, don't, there's a lot of, I mean, there's a lot. Don't know what this means. But no, it's just, there's a lot of, there's everything from Cretaceous stuff here, the Green River Formation, Jurassic. Uh, so you get everything from, T- you know, there's a lot of dinosaur times preserved here.
1: Yes. Was this area uh, under the, it wasn't under the glacier, right? Uh, the basin was. Basin the mountains was. weren't. Okay.
0: So yeah, there were glaciers sitting here. It does get sitting, extremely cold.
1: Okay. I didn't know if they made it this far south, but I guess I don't know how far south this is in relative to the rest of the United States.
0: Very northern Utah, which is still southern, but not like... It's not like... It's about like where we Death are. Death Valley.
1: No, definitely not that far south.
0: No, I mean, they get hard winters. Oh, gotcha. They get feet of snow.
1: Oh, Death Valley?
0: No, not Death Valley. Here. Here. Okay, okay.
1: <laughs> you were throwing me off right there.
0: No, and... Uh, Drilling, like I said, oil in nineteen in nineteen forty eight, oil was discovered from the pleasozoic portion of the basin in Ashley Valley. Uh Trinity discovered in the following year uh, at Roosevelt. And the red wash fields and the Duchess's field in nineteen fifty one. The bluebell fields were discovered in nineteen sixty seven and the Anton fields were discovered in nineteen seventy. A lot of oil for pulled out for a long period of time.
1: Okay. Uh till they realized like these things started popping up out of portals. Oh, no, they and- knew.
0: <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, don't worry guys I have everybody at home if you get a little bored I understand uh, but this is important for the area there's a lot of stuff bad happening here
1: oh yeah uh, but I'm sure yeah it's like you said we'll get to that soon
0: oil companies there's tons and tons of oil fields Um, and this is still a very poor area mm. a lot of the people there are being like are extreme poverty
1: okay so it's like uh, pockets of like West Virginia and stuff where it's yes just yeah
0: yeah. They had boom because of oil and coal. Well, this out here was oil and gas. And then, you know, once it started dying down, they just left all these people out there in the desert. Right, with nothing. Yeah. And then no, we're gone. Bye. The Native Americans are already screwed. You're right. Yeah. Ready for the first kind of weird thing? All right. All right. Meteorites. Okay. I got two things to say about this. We're going to go into a lot of the history. There are a lot of meteors that hit here. Um, the Uanta Basin was not caused... By giant meteor impacts.
1: Where's your evidence?
0: Because of how it was formed. Oh, okay. It's like, this is a tree, <laughs> look at it. Not saying there wasn't meteor impacts out there. The show Skinwalker Ranch, which we'll talk about much later in this series. Screw them. Uh, <laughs> that was kind of one thing they threw out and never really explained. So a lot of people jumped onto that bandwagon. Yeah. That the whole basin, the basin was made by meteorological impacts. Okay. It wasn't. There's natural processes. It makes sense of how it was designed geologically. You know, there's a lot of stuff with the glaciers. Uh, there is still a lot of meteor impacts out here. So they said that one thing on the show, and it caused a humongous fight. Okay. Because a lot of people are like, no, it obviously it was made by natural formations, like because it looked, you know, and the way all... it
1: pieces together. And then other people are like, no, I heard it on the show. And exactly.
0: Yeah. There is though a lot, a lot of meteors that have fallen in this area, and some big ones. Okay. There is an upheaval dome. So that's like where it hits so hard that Pushes it makes a big up. dome. Yeah, there is one out here in the Uinta Basin. Okay, but the whole basin wasn't made by it, right? Does that make sense? Yes. That's one the first problem with the show we're fighting about. Or we have to pull apart. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so twenty-seven large meteorite finds in Utah are listed in the meteorological or the meteor the meteorological society, uh, which is the meteorological bulletin database. Most likely there are meteors uh, have, that have been found in falls in Utah that have not been reported. So this number is just the big guys. Okay. Uh, meteorites number in neighborhood state range anywhere from 231 in New Mexico and 8 in Idaho. Okay. So this is right up there by Idaho, Wyoming.
1: Yeah, that that corner. Yeah, in
0: Colorado, but the very northern end of Colorado. Yes. So this is very cold up here. Uh, They think the reason why they're being underreported is the lack of people.
1: That makes sense. I mean, Wyoming's the least populated state in the whole country.
0: And a lot of the ones that are being caught here... Salt Lake City's right on the edge of the Uinta Basin. Okay. It's, you know, very close by. Uh, So they think that's why the 27 have been seen, as most of them have been seen from Salt Lake, and they go out and find them.
1: Okay, makes sense. There's more people.
0: Yeah. Uh, Most of Utah's meteorites are stony and iron types. Stony meteorites... Are the most diverse group of meteorites, though. They come from a parent body of a planetoid material, unlike, not, not, not unlike Earth. Uh, they did no differentiating layers, such as core, met- uh, mantle, and crust. Iron meteorites are much more familiar meteorites. They are heavy because they are mainly composed of iron-nickel alloy. They do not weather very fast. They are not easily fragmented when they fall. And unlike stony meteorites, they are met- metallic. Okay. So stony meteorites are very hard to find. The, they just earth. Right. Just,
1: it seems like they would break up, be more brittle coming in. They're
0: brittle. The materials are very familiar to earth materials. Okay. Because there are other planetoid bodies. Yeah. Like from the asteroid belt, which was the planet, you know, in our solar system. So a lot of that stuff is planet material. Okay. So it falls to earth. It's very hard to tell from the other rocks right. out in the desert unless Makes it's no still difference. smoking. Right. Yeah. That's a big indicator. Uh, The media, the metallic meteorites are really a lot easier to find because they're big chunk big of a big chunk of metal and it or you take a magnet out there and there's has... a lot of careers out here hunting small meteorites that'd be kind of cool one i think the size of like a basketball is which is rare yeah but it's worth like two or three million dollars gosh dang because it contains all kinds of stuff uh the little guys are worth a couple hundred bucks each
1: i want to be a meteorite hunter that sounds like there a are cool... people out
0: there but they get eaten by dog man oh
1: well yeah i don't want it's, that a, it's a high risk career yeah it's like those alaskan crab fishermen <laughs>
0: yeah uh so, sorry, where was I? Iron meteorites are much failure. They are heavy. They don't break apart. Uh, iron meteorites come from core material of in, in differential bodies. So, five iron meteorites have been found in at the, uh, the Utah. The iron meteorites that are found near Delta, Utah, are classified as the ninth heaviest meteorite ever found in the USA. Wow. It was the big one, and it was the upheaval dome. The ninth heaviest, huh? Yeah, I'll try to remember to post a picture on... Facebook on the day it comes out Wednesday, uh, there's a pickaxe beside it. It's like the size of a like a person. The meteor, yeah, okay. A very, it's very That's neat pretty looking. big. So I'll just read you some. I got weights and just all of them. Uh, Salt Lake City meteorite is uh, so the Salt Lake City meteorite is the name of it. It was a stony type. It fell in 1869. Ooh, weighed about two pounds. It was found between Salt Lake City and Echo in Summer County. That's
1: the one that was the ninth heaviest? No, no, no. Oh, I was going to say, two pounds?
0: No, I'm just reading through the meteorites that have been found out there. Gotcha. Okay. The Duchess meteorite, which is the heart of the Uinta Basin, was an iron type meteorite and it was 50 pounds. Ooh. It's found uh, 31 miles northwest of Duchess on Mount Tabby in Duchess County. The selenium meteorite was an iron type, 1908. Uh, it was about half a pound. It was a, a very weathered mass and a ball of metallic core material in the Porvit Mountains in Sevier County. Uh, but yeah, there's a bunch of them. I'll see there's some heavy ones. The Othora meteorite was an iron one in 1932, 48 pounds. Dang. Uh south. It was found on the, the beaches of Moon Lake in Dutchess County.
1: Ooh. This is I kind of want to go to this place just for the names. It just sounds inviting.
0: And it's not. Huh. Believe me. But I have just... a whole episode in the season finale. This is not a good place to be. Duchess Creek, Moon Lake, it just... Uh. Here's one for you. The Drum Mountain meteorite was an iron meteorite weighed 1,100 pounds. <laughs> At the time, it was the ninth heaviest in the U.S. found on the basalt in um, Madrid County, or Millard County, I'm sorry.
1: 1,100 pounds. Yeah. That's It's the size of a person. Yeah. So
0: they just tell you how dense it is? That's the upheaval dome guy. My he gosh. He smacked hard that's big that's a big piece 1944 of- what else was falling out of the sky in 1944 nazis and ufos yeah
1: yeah foo fighters
0: yeah i'm just skipping around but they they happen fairly regularly uh sometimes every year uh where big ones are found and sometimes they go decades without being seen don't you think it's All- kind of
1: odd though that meteors are just happening to be landing in this one space
0: they fall over the country right yeah uh but, no, it's, it's definitely odd. A bunch of larger meteorites. Right.
1: Just drawn to this
0: air, one area. I wonder why.
1: It is odd.
0: That may be an episode five question.
1: Mm. So if you're listening right now, make a mental note for the future of that point right there.
0: So I have – there's several impact craters in this area. There's the upheaval dome, which is uh, in Canyonlands National Parks, which is just a little bit south of the Uinta Basin. Okay. Uh, there's the Beaver the Beaverhead Crater, which is Montana, Idaho, north of the Uinta Basin. There's the Baringer Crater, which is Arizona on just the side of the Uinta Basin, and, or the, the south side of the Uinta Basin. Yeah. And the Cloud Creek Crater, Wyoming, known for only its drilling records. They never found the meteorite.
1: Okay. Uh, But a big hole. Okay.
0: Big ol' hole.
1: Alaskan bullworm. There you
0: go. Uh, yeah, but so th- there's this small area, relatively speaking, that has several extremely large impact craters, but the Uinta Basin as a whole has one. Yeah, uh, which is what the biggest one on the list. The mm-hmm. Upheaval Dome is the biggest, and it has tons of large meteorites. By large, I mean you know bigger than a baseball. Yeah. Uh, because technically, I think it's like eleven thousand meteorites hit the Earth a year that actually make it to surface level, something like that. Uh, but most of them are, like the size of rice and stuff. You know, by the time they right. get to Earth,
1: right? And because you know, mostly everything burns up in the atmosphere, right? Yeah, or fragments. Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. Any questions about that meteorites?
1: I'm and yeah, I poses questions, but I don't. I don't think we have answers yet. So
0: there's uh, not with the UNT. There are obviously there's tons of UFO sightings that co-occur okay. with these. Some of them are probably are the meteorite itself. Mm-hmm. Others are days or weeks after, but it's continuous. Okay. And when we get to UFOs, we'll get there. Uh, there's just a lot of paranormal stuff associated with meteors hitting the ground, whether it's hmm. them activating something in the ground from the impact, yeah, their own makeup causing stuff to happen, or just the sheer you know energy transfer. There's a lot of energy transfer from it smack
1: on the earth. Right. Yeah, I'd say so. Hmm. That could trigger something.
0: Yeah. So I'm just saying, I don't know what is causing that. Right. But there is a lot of paranormal activity that gets sparked up from meteor impact.
1: It could, yeah, just hit the ground so hard, create a energy vortex and merge dimensions. And that's where Mothman comes from.
0: You ever seen that video? Here's our first big side tangent uh, for the season finale. You ever seen that video of if a sewing needle was going light speed and hit the earth, what would happen? I don't think so. It is crazy. I highly suggest you look it up. Because it just shows you how speed is a much bigger factor than mass. Yes. You ever seen the video of
1: the the assassin, like these Japanese assassins, that could take a sewing needle and literally throw it through a pane of glass? Yes. It's
0: insane. So this needle would, like, turn the earth inside out because it didn't even give the crust a chance to break. It just kind of pulled it through. Oh. Because it was hitting so hard and so fast. A needle? At light speed, though. Yeah, we're it's talking still. You know, the fastest as far as we know, the fastest moving thing right. in the universe. Right, right, right. We're you know we're talking stupid fast.
1: A needle can cause that much damage?
0: Yeah, it's like I said, it's not about the mass. Right, right. About the speed. Anyways,
1: yeah. I guess if a guy can throw it through a pane of glass,
0: let's talk about the weirdest part of geology in the Uinta Basin. So magnetic anomalies. Yes. And gravitational anomalies. Very odd here. Let's, I want to explain the difference real fast. Okay, good idea. Gravitational anomalies are much more common than magnetic anomalies in Earth as a whole. You done yawning?
1: That's just a lot of information there.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm listening. So gravitational anomalies are, are much more common in Earth as a whole than magnetic anomalies. Okay. Without cause. Like magnetic anomalies when you're around a bunch of magnets or iron or something like that. Well, that makes sense, yeah. Gravitational is literally the pole of the Earth that can be affected by void spaces or liquid below. Hmm. Or several other things. Those are the two common ones. Uh, they're often used, gravitational anomalies are often used to find oil deposits. Oh, really? Yeah, because there's a big cavity missing. So the Earth has huh. essentially less mass. I didn't know that. So it's a slight di- like dip in the pool, right? right yeah. So they use that to find oil deposits. Wow. Okay. Magnetic anomalies are a much broader category to where it can cause a compass to spin. It's literally right. a, 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 an anomaly in the Earth's electromagnetic field to actual magnet pulling hmm. or or repelling.
1: Is that what causes? You know, seen where people were walking around looking for water, and they got the
0: what do they call the dowsing rods? There is some people claim that is what is the actual effect is okay. gravitational anomalies are actually pulling the rods together. Oh, okay. Uh, we had a well dug by that
1: yeah. at the old house. I've it seen works. it
0: works. Yeah, I just wonder why. I wonder. But in my opinion also, where, where we're at in Ohio, just dig a well. There's water all below us.
1: Well, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah.
0: This <laughs> is really the depth. But no, so I just before I go into that, I wanna I wanted to explain the differences because mm-hmm. I've seen them lumped together or people misuse the term, and like I said. I'm not a geologist. These are the rough definitions of these terms. Right. Uh, as far as, you know, layman understanding. I
1: think it is just important to know that there is a difference.
0: There is a difference. That because is I've the- seen them interchanged. Yeah. And they're definitely very different things. Uh I had the so much trouble. We're gonna talk about NASA Uh-oh. This through the whole thing. NASA did a super huge magnetic and gravitational anomaly study in the Uinta basin. Yes. You went to basin. Just there. NASA has three labs out there that they don't list anywhere.
1: Which is odd, ain't it?
0: I had to you know, I this was pulling teeth to find this information. Yeah. The only reason we know about the gravitational and magnetic anomalies st- survey they did is because they left and accidentally they left a couple of their markers out there. Ah. Which is they literally put a concrete slab in the dirt yeah. with a metal disc on it that said NASA It says NASA Gravitational Survey X year.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: So they pulled hundreds, if not thousands, of them out and forgot a couple.
1: Okay. Just saying. They didn't uh, dot all their I's and cross mm-hmm. all their T's on that one.
0: And there's some more, either what you could call it pseudoscience or more paranormal studies with both of these okay. types of things that can maybe cause paranormal activity. But let me so I have the abstract of the study. As a result of gravitational magnetic survey of the Uinta Mountains and surrounding areas are presented and discussed, the relative of high Boyinger anomaly which is gravitational, over the core of its range and low anomalies over the flanking basins okay. are caused by what most likely is low-density so sedimentary rock in the basin. A density map and the isotope map of the Trinity section of the construction of the gravitational data, which is the general agreement of known geology. So before I keep reading, I just want to cover that. <laughs> yeah. What they said, basically, is the basin itself has a high anomaly rate. Compared to the basin surrounding it,
1: okay. So well, already they've
0: admitted that's weird. They said it's because it must have low low density sedimentary rock in the basin.
1: That's their explanation. Yes. Okay.
0: And that may explain gravitational, but not magnetic, okay anomaly. This means free air anomaly, which is they have their their it's a plus eight mgal, which is their way of measuring it. Okay. Uh, shows the area which includes the basin in approximately an isostatic equilibrium. That means the anomaly of a negative 122mGAL corresponds to the, de- the, mag- the metallic depth of 50 kilometers. A large negative magnetic anomaly is associated with the main structure of the range. Okay. Let me reread that.
1: Yes, please Keep do. Keep in mind this
0: is a lot. A large negative magnetic anomaly is associated with the main structure of the range. That means the center of the Uenda Basin. Right. has a super huge negative anomaly, which has been interpreted as having been caused by a bathospheric incursion of low subsequent rock. Basically, a bunch of light rock. Okay. By upwarding of a Kurs isothermic, uh, isothermic requiring a minimum thermal granitation of 27 degrees celsius at about one kilometer down so it's like a warmer yeah they think it was an upheaval of low density material that is causing this from the earth core so the earth's mantle i'm sorry
1: so like this could have been like an old maybe ancient like volcano spot
0: or one that never was formed right never made it to the surface never was never fully birthed yeah that is the speculation okay another one is it's suspected that a decrease caused by tectonic stress May be causing these anomalies. A positive hmm. magnetic anomaly is also associated with the fault line at the east end of the basin, that corresponds with a high density rock that shows up in the gravitational data. So they have both. They have gravitational anomalies through the whole basin. Whether you're in the mountains, which is really odd, okay, for gravitational anomalies are normally in the flat areas because you find so you find the oil and the gas and such. Right. They have a super sized negative anomaly. In the center of the basin, which they have uh, interpreted in two different ways, and as far as my research, nobody has given a hard answer. As to why. Nobody's staking a claim that this is what's causing, which is, yeah. as far as science goes, weird. Normally, there's somebody out there that's pretty hard-nosed about one way or the other. Oh,
1: oh, heck yeah.
0: Uh, or, you know, so there's two possibilities. The one on the other, uh, the positive magnetic anomaly, they is right on the fault line. Okay. Which... To me it's a little weird. It should be a negative anomaly, but I'm not once not again a geologist, don't fully maybe understand that. So what's your thoughts on that? Like I said that's the abstract of the whole study. I'll yeah. try to remember to post the whole study. Uh, but it's through the NASA logs and it sucks to it sucks yeah. to go through. Well, Anybody that read the, any of the upper biological surveys NASA did would understand it is stupid. The way they hide like I don't know if it's purposeful hiding or if it's bureaucrat, you know, stuff.
1: Yeah. Just the way they uh I don't know, uh write down information or collect information. I, maybe I didn't
0: explain it. The the did I say Boyinger is the gravitational anomaly? Like that's their the way they test for it. Okay. I mentioned it earlier, the Boyinger system. Yes, you did, yeah. That's what it is. Okay. I don't like saying something not explaining what it means.
1: Gotcha. I mean I it is odd and I'm I'm kinda of, if it if they did need like core samples to find out what actual did they do that then? Like to see what rock is actually under them.
0: No, because you can't get past the abstract on NASA's website. Mm, okay. It's locked. It's behind a paywall.
1: Because, oh, uh, okay, gotcha. I mean, I'd be interested to know what the actual they rock never, is made of. so this is the of.
0: abstract. This is a whole study. This yeah. is a, a small version of the whole study. So they only have uh, interpretations of data.
1: Right, it sounds all like speculation. Like there is no speculation. Yeah.
0: So they have tons of gravitational anomalies. The only thing weird about the gravitational anomalies, besides one thing I'll tell you here in a second. Okay is that they're also in the mountains. Right, it's not which is just... Which super weird.
1: Not just um, beholden to the basin.
0: A weird thing for the magnetic anomalies is they're supersized. Yeah. And there's a big negative one, dead center. Right. Which is super weird, as far as what I can find, because they're normally not huge. Unless Yeah. So it's, it's just, they're weird. It's all just weird thing that I wish, you know, maybe a geologist could explain to us a little better.
1: What if it was back, like, way ancient, ancient times you know, prehistory. If it was just an ancient super volcano, the mountains were the rim of it. And it's it just
0: d- odd to me that you're going to the non-conspiratorial angle first. It is, ain't it? Because I was going to say it was the ant people living down there.
1: And maybe the, it's their ant, like, that was the old opening to their hole, their like ant hole? Yeah,
0: that's the, that's the cities down there.
1: That's their ant hill, like, mm-hmm. opening, and that's the, their, someone concreted it over, like, the entrance. Oh, got covered with dust. So now it's... Got that negative
0: anomaly. So I want to say this: the average gravitational anomaly in the U.S. per square mile is anywhere from fifteen to fifty. Okay. So they're not rare.
1: What do you mean the average? Like, what do you mean? Like,
0: just the average square mile in the U.S. You just picked one.
1: So every fifteen to fifty miles around that,
0: there would be fifteen to fifty of them. These little like gravitational anomalies within that square mile. Within that square mile, yeah. They're normally small and weird. Like I said, they're caused by fluctuations in the Earth's crust. They can be anything from, let's say, a water vein down there, you know, whatever.
1: So, it, but gravitational anomaly, does that mean it, like, pulls you down or could the opposite? Either or. It can go very, either way, talk- huh?
0: Most of these are very slight.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, if either way, I just got to figure out where one is so I can put my basketball hoop above it so I can finally
0: dunk. Here's the weird thing with the Uanta Basin. With the gravitational anomalies. So like I said, the magnetic anomalies are weird because of how big they are and where they're placed. Right. makes them very odd. Uh, The gravitational anomalies, sure, they're everywhere in the U.S. They're everywhere in the world. What's odd is, depending on which square mile you pick in the Uinta Basin, uh, anywhere from 5,000 per square mile to uh, 15,000 per square mile.
1: So instead of 15 to 50, it's 5,000 to 15,000? Oh, my gosh. And you can
0: look at this at the Voyager survey. Yeah. I remember, I showed you it a long time ago. It, that map. It's just solid dots, some areas. How do we... Uh, I have it, to find it again. I couldn't find it again.
1: Oh. So thought, if
0: I find it again, it's posted on Wednesday.
1: Did you even have it saved on, on the computer or not? Different computer. Oh, uh, okay.
0: That was a long time ago.
1: Yeah. It mean, was pretty extensive. That uh, There was dots everywhere. Everywhere. There's a lot. Yeah.
0: All right. So magnetic and gravitational anomalies. Are a fluctuation, in, oh, so gravitational anomalies are fluctuation in gravity. Uh, some theoretical scientists talk about plasma being produced by these anomalies, changes in magnetic fields, and producing exotic energies. Hmm. So, depending on who you're talking about, a lot of the scientists believe. Let's say, example, smaller or smaller magnetic anomalies can discharge energy, mm-hmm. uh, which talks about like stuff floating for a minute or stuff being pulled down super hard. Okay. It actually, like, a change in, quote-unquote, gravity or magnetic. Uh, and same with gravitational anomalies. This is all extremely theoretical science, and we don't understand the Earth as well as most people think. Right. So we think that there are—some scientists think there are some— what we classify as paranormal behaviors okay. associated with these phenomena that may not be, quote-unquote, actually paranormal, just an un-understood un, an un thing that naturally occurs— and this just happens to be a spot where it's easily accessible. Right. So there are some stories of stuff floating around the basin,
1: which we've heard firsthand.
0: Firsthand, and which you guys will hear. Yes. Everything from uh, you know small stuff like stock tanks and stuff like that, which are water tanks, to an entire storage container floating like debris.
1: Yeah, which is nuts.
0: So that could be that, and then some of the orbs and stuff that are seen could be plasma discharges from these anomalies. Hmm. Like I said, once again, I'll say it one more time, not a geologist, but from the people I've read and the, my understanding, it's a very new thing to really, we don't know. Right. The big ones, the big gravitational anomalies are mostly oil, oil and gas. This place has a bunch of small ones. The weird ones are the magnetic.
1: And some of them are big. hmm Yeah.
0: Okay. Any questions about that?
1: I think it's pretty underst- well understood.
0: Here's the hardest one I had researching for geology before we move on to Native American history. Ooh, okay. It's still like we're in school, right? A little bit. Sorry. Everybody at home, this is what you asked for. The caves of Ooh. the Uinta Basin.
1: I didn't know about caves. And the Uinta
0: Mountains. There are tons of them. Ant people. Uh, most scientists, most geologists believe these are unconnected caves. Most of them are made by small rivers or fracturing in cracks. mm Due to the amount of water in the basin, though, these are very, very mis... Like, there's no data into them due to them mostly being filled with water.
1: Okay, that makes sense.
0: Uh, so we don't know anything about them. And they're actually kind of hard to find on deep ground penetrating radar because they're filled with water.
1: So they can't, like, they're pick really, up on they, them? Yeah. Okay.
0: Uh, one of the When we start talking about the ranches and stuff like that, blindfall Ranch drilled into a, a big cave system, and that's what they think. Oh, okay. Uh, also a weird thing... Is, well, not weird. There's a lot of gases in these that are deadly due to the natural gas veins being so close to the surface out there yeah. that a lot of these caves you can get into, you shouldn't go into. Because you'll die. <laughs> you'll die and you won't know it. Don't they have like a little tracking
1: things they can throw in the water that'll like float down?
0: Yeah, it's getting to them. Uh, a lot of these are deep, a lot of these caves are deep. Right. And if you look at some of the cave maps, which there's not many, yeah, there's a lot of these caves that are overlaying on top of each other, which mm. aren't connected. Okay. Uh, yeah, so it's just odd. Just more odd geological factors out there. It's an odd space if that hasn't already been established. Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to take our ad break before we get into Native American history. Ooh. You ready? Yeah. Are you sure?
1: Yeah. Ad time.
0: All right. How do you like it so far? It's interesting. Good. Informative. You're not too bored, are you? No, not too
1: bored. Like wood. Thank you. Tell everyone that. And we're back from that thrilling ad.
0: Yes. Buy whatever product you there. Or if you skipped it, good for you. Yeah, yes. Please do. All right. Once again, going into Native American history and cultures. I'm not a Native American expert. This is from several websites. If anybody asks, I will give you the links. Uh, so this is from my understanding. We're mostly going to be focusing on the Utes and the Navajo, Okay. which don't have a very good history with each other. Not very friendly to each other? Well, it may have not been their faults, but yeah, it was, yeah. Not good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so like I said, during the Ethio-historic period, which is about 1300 AD to present, the Utah Basin has been occupied by the Ute The Utah Ots, which is like the Uinta, I guess, uh, which is a band of Utes. It's a specialized – it's like a A tribe of Utes.
1: Yes. Okay, gotcha.
0: The basin was also uh, occasionally visited by northern and northwestern Shoshone tribes.
1: Ooh, the Shoshone.
0: Which I apologized like a year ago. I accidentally said shoe sign. I don't know why. (laughs) The basin at one time was a rich provider of food and clothing for the U Indians. And this is their word. It's not mine. The first white man to set eyes on the uh, Uinta Basin, in the Uinta Mountains, were a member of a small Spanish expedition from the Santa Fe, headed by Fry uh, Fry Silverstein Barro de Esqueles. Oh, boy. The expedition crossed the Utah and the Uinta Basin, several uh, miles northeast of what is present-day Jensen. Okay. These interpreted explorers, or these intrepid explorers, opened the Uinta Basin in the eastern portion of the Great Basin to the Spanish and later Mexican and American and British fur trappers. Between the late 1820s and 1840s, the basin and mountains were visited by such men as uh, William H. Ashley, Intour Parvitz, uh, Antonio Vorbex, and Kurt Carson. I just love when there's just a normal name in the middle of them. <laughs> right, yeah. At least two subsequent trading posts were established in the basin. Fort Robodex, sometimes referred to as Fort Uenta uh, or Fort Whitey, which I'm going to assume it just means white people. Probably. Uh, or Fort Kitt, which is named after Kit or Kirk Carson. Several important U.S. Governor, uh, government expeditions visited the area, including Captain J.C. Fremont expedition in 1840 and Major John uh, Wesley Powell. Who floated down the Green River from Green uh, from the Green River in Wyoming in 1969 to 1971? So there was already people living there. I want to make that right. very clear.
1: That name sounds familiar, though. That last one,
0: uh, John Powell, yeah.
1: John Wesley Powell, yeah. I mm-hmm. gotta look that up real quick. Oh yeah, so, like you now, just now. Like said. I
0: said, the Mormons get involved. Oh boy, and I don't know nothing about Mormonism. I don't like. Though I only knew one family ever that was Mormon, and they were fine. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah, that's probably the same same family. family. Yeah, uh, the Uinta Basin drew little interest during the initial phases of settlement of the Great Basin. Yeah, the, they got lucky for a while. Who we did? Yeah, well, pretty much the Utes and some of the Shoshone.
1: Okay, what do you mean? What do you mean got lucky? Because
0: the white settlers just were like, ah, oh, whatever. They passed it over.
1: Yeah. yeah, We'll soon find out why I'm sure.
0: Well, it didn't stay over long.
1: Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Once there's land to be had. Yeah, would...
0: early in the 1860s, Brenham Young. Did order, or, and, or, did order a small expedition to the Uinta Basin to determine the subsibility for locating a settlement there. Which, remember, Salt Lake City is, like, the Not Mormon far. capital right, yeah. of the world.
1: Brigham Young is the BYU, yeah. the big Mormon college, yeah.
0: Well, it is, it's the founder, right?
1: Yeah, Brigham Young, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, or is he the second guy led it? Like I said, I don't know nothing about Mormonism. Uh, He's either uh, the founder or the second... Well, I imagine he,
1: he was the founder because the university is named after him.
0: So Brigham Young, there we go. Like I said, don't know nothing about Mormonism. So ordered a, uh, he ordered a expedition out there in the Uinta Basin to see what it was suitable for life. Okay. Uh, which sucked for the people living there. Upon the expedition's return, the Desert News reported the expedition had found little there, and the basin was vastly contiguous of waste and valueless except for uh, nomadic purposes, hunting grounds for Indians that hold the world together. Okay. So. What's that mean? Basically, it's worthless for white people. It's good for the Native Americans. Okay. That hold the world together? Hunting grounds for the Indians to hold the world together. Yeah. Okay. Basically, so they don't go extinct. Okay. Like, it's theirs. Okay. Soon after, though, most of the Uinta Basin was set aside by President proclamation for an Indian reservation. It was not until the late 1860s, however, that most of the Utes residing in Utah Valley and areas south of there were relocated to the new Indian reservation. Mm. I'm sure willingly.
1: Yes, I'm sure.
0: Uh so all the, the we'll get into the UN with the Ute tribe on history and Navajo history separately, but this is kind of where they start coming together.
1: They're like forced to be together.
0: So the Utes already were there in the Uinta basin. Okay. So there was just a small pocket of the Utes a bunch of the youths were rounded up and shoved into the Uinta Basin. Okay. Because a lot of the white people around were like, it's useless, put all the Indians there. Put them there, yeah. Gosh. Sometimes I
1: hate learning about history.
0: But it's Yeah. Uh, so, a second temporary Indian reservation located south of present-day Ori was established in 1882 following the Meeker incident in western Colorado in 1879. The two reservations encompassed about 3.5 million acres, much of which... Was semi-arid today uh, for the their Utes, the White River Utes, the Umbercumbridge Utes, occupy only a small fraction of their former reservation lands. Okay. They don't have much of what, the 3.5 million acres that was set aside? So they used to, yeah. Much smaller
1: now. Yeah.
0: However, the courts have granted the Utes greater legal jurisdiction over the land, which is once their original Indian reservation. Uh, they have fought back and got some of it back recently. Oh, all right. Unlike the other settlements in Utah, Ashley Valley was not called by Mormon uh, sorry, unlike other settlements in Utah, Ashley Valley was not a called by Mormon leaders to be settled. Beginning in the early 1870s, Mormon ranchers and other whites from the Indian reservation or from around the Indian reservation began filtering into Ashley Valley, which first served as an excellent summer feeding grounds for the herds of cattle, which sucked for the Native Americans. That will be said a lot. many more times. <laughs> Because the problem is is they're herding all their cattle there to feed on the ground that they're hunting on. Yeah, that's not good. Cows will win over deer and buffalo. Yeah, oh, for sure. By 1880, there was a permanent population significantly large enough in Utah Canada, to be established as a uh, legal territory. Okay. So there was enough white people there to call it a place. Gotcha. Within a decade, uh, yeah, so glycinite and other asphalt materials were discovered in Utah County on the eastern edge of both Indian reservations.
1: Oh, so more resources we need now.
0: They're like, huh? Well, oh, well, you guys got this stuff. You you use it for anything? No. How about you move out again? Yeah. National and local pressure soon mounted to have the two Indian reservations opened up for white development. Oh boy. However, it was not until the passage of the Dewey's Act of 1887 where federal means were established for both Utah Basin Indian reservations to be opened. So it took to 1887. The government held on to be like, no, it's their land till about a year and a half later. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't take long. In 1898, following an effective campaign by national and local mining interest, the upper hinge—that's that's a weird word—Indian Reservation was thrown open to miners and settlers. Some more. Okay. The uh, Uinta <sighs> Reservation followed the next summer in 1905 after allotting 160 acres were made for each adult man who married an Indian. Less Uh amounts were allotted to single males or women who uh, took in orphan children. Okay. The Native Americans. Yeah. Basically, if you married a Native American, you got extra land inside their land.
1: So not only are they forcing them out, now they're breeding them out. Oh, man. What? No. No. Yeah, it sounds like it. You sound a Canadian right there. So. No, no way. Oh, wait, that was the
0: other dude. In, Never mind. It gets so bad. In August of 1905, thousands of potential homesteaders rushed the Grand Junction, Colorado, <laughs> from Grand Junction, Colorado to Vernal, Prince Provo, Utah to register for the land draw. Keep in mind, maybe I'm not putting this through. The land draw was the Native Americans' land, the land that we forced them to. Yes. We forced them to this tiny spot in the desert, essentially. 3.5 million acres sounds like that. It's not. It's not when your whole tribe took, you know, four or five states. It's like, it's like, a and you put it, you pushed them all into what you deemed the worst area. Right. And then once you've seen the Native Americans are doing all right on it, it's like, oh, well, let's do a land draw.
1: It's like, uh, it's like Native Americans had a fridge full of, refrigerator full of food. <laughs> and you just come in, you're like, well, well,
0: we see the thing is. We didn't see the fridge full of food until they accidentally cracked it open one time. Well, they realized it was
1: full of... Right. They seen the fridge. and like, okay, well, we kind of want that. It's ours now, but you can have the little crisper drawer at the bottom. (laughs) And then... Then we take that. Then we open the crisper drawer. Uh, Well, we kind of want that too.
0: So, yeah. Only a fraction of registers actually took up homesteading, and many of those eventually gave up on the efforts to secure cheap farmland. A sizable portion of the Strawberry Valley, which is in the middle of the Uinta Basin, was reserved for the reclamation process. So later on, they started giving back some land that they oh. were like, "Whatever the white people didn't want, you can have yeah, back." Yeah,
1: whatever. Probably these cursed demons are like on this land. You can have that part.
0: And some la- uh, also some land located along the foothills and southern flakes of the Uintas, were reserved for Indian grazing grounds.
1: Okay. Oh yeah, they can have the part. You know where that ball of lightning keeps forming and killing all of
0: our cows. They can have that. Where everybody's dead.
1: Yeah, basically. Yes.
0: <laughs> so you went to basin, was then subsequently uh a frequent, a frequented by economic booms and burst cycles. Booms and bust cycles. So they'd find something there. It's the same thing with the like the gold rush. Yeah. Do you know who made the most money off the gold rushes? Um the people selling mining equipment. Ah, That's yes. not even a joke.
1: That makes sense, though.
0: So yeah, it was it had a lot of boom bust cycles. Uh, for the most part, this is contributed by, with the discovery and development of various natural resources, coupled by national and international economic conditions. The first of these cycles were a rush of the fur bearing animals in the 1820s and 1840s. After they were all killed, they left.
1: I thought you were about to say the rush of the fur bearing trout.
0: <laughs> no. Uh, the following next cycle was the glycemite and other asphalt materials. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, and then that fell after they took them all. Yeah. Basically, left big holes in the ground. And then commercial oil produced in production started in 1948 through the 70s which is not fully exploited until the 70s which increased the price of crude oil. Yep. Then it turned uh, to a several people and public ventures to develop an inexpensive process of separating the oil, shale and tar sands. Uh they basically built the mining op- or the separating operations out there in the desert because the, the all the chemicals in there sucked and were dangerous. Yeah. So let's build it where all these people that can't afford to leave live. Force them to stay there. Uh yeah. Yeah, so uh, uh, also the economic health of the Uinta Basin has fallen sharply of late. The development of water sources such as the Wastash Fort has been yet another economic uh, stimulus, but this too has been only temporary. There is little that remains of the Uinta Basin as far as economic flourishment. What does remain is a small population based of white and Native Americans, supposedly uh, supported by a very fragile economy based on agriculture and if not very little tourism. The went to basin contains what remains of a shadow of the Wasatch Mountains and the Wasatch Fort. Okay. So yeah, uh, the next thing, it may be a little redundant, but I I pulled another article to explain why maybe the Utes and the Navajo don't care for each other very much. Okay. That modern day, I don't think it matters. I'm talking a little bit in history. All right. Well, Jang peed there, so that's what that gap was. Yeah, sorry. I, I ran you out immediately. You're gonna pee my pants. Now I want to say this struggle between the Utes and the Navajo. Uh this is this website is Legends of North American Natives. Okay. Uh it's the website. They are mostly ran from what I can see by Native Americans themselves. Which is good. So that's where I get this information from. Okay. okay. So a big thing that we'll talk about in the next following episodes is this whole thing of on the path of the skinwalker. It said in the documentaries, it said on the TV show, it said in all the literature. I had so much trouble finding where that term comes from. Okay. And the Skinwalker is a Navajo legend.
1: So that's where the name comes from? Yes. Okay.
0: Well, that's the white man translated version of the name. Okay. Understood. But it's the Navajo legend. But the people that are interviewed talking about the Skinwalker are almost all Utes. Okay. So there can be some. There's – well, we'll get there. Okay. So what I'm saying is the Navajo do not talk about the Skinwalker. It's their legend. They believe talking about him brings him in. Uh, the Utes are terrified of the Skinwalker because of this conflict we're going to talk about. Okay. I just want to get that out there. It's very – it's just it's just a thing because I keep hearing people say in the path of Skinwalker, in the path, and I couldn't find it for the longest time, but finally found it. So the Indians or Native Americans – Have been that around the ranch area, specifically Skinwalker Ranch, but the whole area says it's on the path of the Skinwalker, and for that reason, they have been long forbidden to go anywhere near the property or the area. The Skinwalker is a malevolent shapeshifter or shapeshifting witch of the Navajo people, and witch is a unisex term in their culture.
1: You're talking witch, yeah? Okay,
0: witch. It's yeah is a unisex term. It can be man, woman. Uh, Actually, most Skinwalkers seem to be male. Okay. Uh which is what the Ute uh the Ute people have taken extremely seriously. So Southern Ute in, uh Native Americans in 1904. But before the Utes moved to the reservation, they were extremely fierce in war war-like people that were primarily living in Utah, Colorado, and New Mexico. Okay. Uh you know, we've talked about some tribes were much more, you know, heavily in war and some were not. Right. At one time the Ute and the Navajo fought together against their common enemies. However, when the Utes first acquired horses from the Spanish, it didn't go good for the Utes. When, they, they, so when the Utes first acquired horses from the Spanish, it didn't go good for the Navajos. Navajo.
1: Okay, that makes more sense. They
0: began abducting tons of Navajo people, mostly targeting women and children, to be sold into the slave market in New Mexico to the Spanish.
1: Oh, geez. Okay.
0: So later during the Civil War, some Utes band together at Kirk Carson in a military campaign against the Navajo people. This ended with the Navajo being expelled from their lands and forced to march the reservation in Fort Summers, New Mexico, called the Long Walk of the Navajo. This is a horrible time in Navajo history for most of the Navajo people. Even if they weren't – either their ancestors weren't a part of the walk, if they were other tribes in Navajo, it is still a horrendous thing that happened to the Navajo. And the Utes uh, were a part of it.
1: So the Spanish gave the Utes horses. Horses and guns. And then the horses went and abducted Navajo. And then
0: no, the Utes went, not the
1: horses. Or well, the Utes on the horses went and abducted with the horses.
0: A bunch of the Navajo to right. be sold into the slave trade in the Spanish.
1: And then they forced the Navajo to they, out off their then land. Then
0: during the Civil War, they fought uh, against the Navajo to force them off their land and onto a very tiny reservation.
1: So the Navajo got screwed. Bad, yeah, the royally. Utes get screwed later. Yeah, but but the
0: Navajo got screwed by the Utes. Okay, all right. Just make sure that's I understood how it, that. Yes. All but right. Once again, this is their website. If it's wrong, somebody email me nicely, and I will fix it. <laughs> Though the tribe was uh, allowed to return later to their homelands in Fort Connor's uh, area several years later, the Utes believe the Navajo cursed the Ute tribe for their previous transgressions. Afterwards, the Skinwalker began to plague or the plague the Ute people. So they do this several bad things to the Navajo, and immediately the Utes after. Feel consequences, okay, and they th- they fully believe that the Ute people or the Navajo people put the curse of the Skinwalker on them
1: onto the Utes, okay,
0: yeah. Which after all that, I can see why. But I'm just saying, when you watch all this stuff, nobody talks about why the Utes always talk about the Skinwalker, and the Navajo really don't. Yeah, it's, that's probably a reason why. Hmm. Also, there may be this is speculation. There may be a little bit of like systemic or systemic racism. Because the Utes feel bad for what they did. Okay. So they may be villainizing the Navajo a little bit. Mm, okay. To make themselves maybe look a little better? Look, yeah. That is complete speculation and not everybody. I'm just saying.
1: Right, yeah. Just throwing it out
0: there. The Utes believe the Skinwalker's present in the Uinta Basin extends back to at least 15 generations. They don't believe the Skinwalker lives on any ranch in particular, but rather hides out in a place called Dark Canyon which if you look up Dark Canyon in the Uinta Uinta Basin, nobody goes there. And if you do, you don't come back. Mm, Interesting. Probably because it's full of skinwalkers. Yeah. So, yeah. According, uh, so, Skinwalker Navajo Witch, which we'll go into a lot of the uh, Skinwalker Legends, How to Become One, all that later in a different episode. Okay. According to the reports, the Utes have seen skinwalkers in that area tons and tons of times. Pretty much every time they go out there, they're skinwalkers. So, they kind of thought that the the Navajo left the Skinwalkers there to torment their people, okay, as punishment or retribution. The witches has the the witches have been spied uh, near the ranches, uh, on the roads in Fort Duchess, and various other areas of the reservation. One account describes them as looking very human like, with dog heads and smoking cigarettes. That did happen, where a guy was uh, a Ute was walking, and he's seen three of them sitting there in like shirts with like werewolves, but thinner. Okay. And they were smoking cigarettes. And they looked at him like they were screwing with him, hmm. and it freaked them out. Obviously. Well, yeah. Another description is a large, black, hairy human figure that moves very fast on two legs. They are also described as having unusually large, coal red eyes. Others have hmm. said that they have been uh, they've taken pictures of very strange track, which our skinwalkers are said to leave. Right. Which you'll hear later yes. in one of these episodes. That and this is in, from a special yeah. guest. So I just had to put that out there. Is Because I thought it was weird doing research. I could find tons of, of Utes talking about mm-hmm. skinwalkers. Couldn't find any Navajo, really. Mm. And that's probably why. The systemic racism is a whole, just a thought that may be out there for some of The old time, I'm not saying anybody out there today is doing any of that. Right. I'm talking about how the legend started a long time ago. Right, yeah. It's because they trapped a lot, the Utes trapped a lot of the Navajos, sold them into slavery. And then they're, yeah, and it then was they, Then they moved them off their lands in the right. Civil
1: War. So might as well just... Continue to blame and so them for So then the everything. Navajo
0: turned back and cursed them. Right. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So any questions? I got a whole bunch of stuff about the Utes and the Navajo. Um. But yeah, any questions about that so far?
1: I mean, it, it, if if all is true, like the legend says, you know, makes a lot of sense. It sure does. As far as you know, Navajo being distraught, being ripped off their land, being uh, I mean, tormented,
0: and the Utes are almost wiped out too. Uh, right after the civil war
1: right after yeah uh, but leading up to it you know
0: cuz so- after the civil war there were very few uh, very few utes left right uh most of them lived in utah and colorado the utah the ute tribe uh reservation in the uinta basin uh at the turn of the century in the 18th and 19th century was just down to 3500 members ooh so immediately after the war with the navajo
1: <sighs> what many left yeah
0: but that wasn't the only war on this land, which I'll, I, we'll talk about all the wars that have happened here. Okay, everything from Blackfoot to all kinds of different tribes have just been fighting, fighting here, out here. It's a bad area. But yeah, they were they were down to basically ten thousand members after the Civil War okay. as a whole tribe. Yeah. yeah, they got very low.
1: And that was after the tribes all combined, pretty much. Was yeah, forced they were forced to be in here. one spot. Yeah,
0: Utes uh, had control of most of the Southwest. Okay. Uh, If you look up maps of their distribution and stuff like that, it was huge. It was humongous. Huge. Huge. Uh, But they were a a subdivision. uh, They started off as a subdivision of a numeric speaking branch of Uto-Aztecan language family. Okay. So the Utes kind of have their history back to the Aztecs. Wow, I didn't know that. Well, there's a bunch of Aztec stuff in the Uinta Basin.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
0: And they think uh, what uh, what some of the Aztec legends may have been about uh, Utah.
1: Oh, like going actually what took place there? Yeah. Well, hopefully they weren't doing all the the major human sacrifices they were doing down in Mexico City. Wasn't that the Aztecs?
0: I'm not. I don't know. Okay. I'm not going to pretend I know. I think it was. Uh, The Ute Trail, later called the Old Spanish Trail, was a trade route between San Francisco, California, through Colorado and Utah. It was later used by European explorers in the West. Uh, the Utes were definitely one of the tribes that uh, didn't fight back a lot. Okay. With the white people, uh, because at first it was a good relationship. The Spanish were the first ones that kind of traded with them, pretty pretty fairly. Yeah. Uh, did, like I said, didn't go good for any Native American after.
1: No, never. Nothing ever did. Nothing, <laughs> nothing ever did. ever since we showed up.
0: So a lot of the painted – so there's a lot of pictographs in the Uinta Basin that are still being found to this day. Oh. On the plateaus, they would have amphitheaters, natural amphitheaters, and there would be pictographs found there. I was watching some videos of some Ute experts Mm -hmm. and some Ute people themselves going out, and they would just kind of walk around the the basins, and they would look at the plateaus and kind of look for these spots. Like that's pretty much what you look for. You look for the spot, the natural amphitheater, and you'll find stuff there. Okay. And they would walk around and they were looking up and they'd see the spot and you'd be like, let's go look at there. And they'd find a pictograph.
1: That's pretty sweet.
0: And they're pretty eroded now. I mean the the plateaus are constantly kind of crumbly. Yeah. So it's very hard to find, you know, full full pictures of anything or, you know, stories. There are some really good ones though. Um The Bureau of Land Management steps in in like the two thousands. Okay. And I don't like any government agency. Yeah. But they locked up a lot of the pictographs of the Ute, the Ute people. Didn't we just talk about the Bureau of Land Management, like on a recent episode?
1: I don't think we did. We don't think we did. Pretty no. sure we did. Not us. Oh yeah, I think it was overheard yeah. in the studio.
0: So the five tribes correlation, which is this in the, U- uh, the Utah Mountain Utes and other reservations, they have this like a tons of these pictographs in this area. The Bureau of Land Management in the United States Forestry Service, which actively covers up missing persons, right, kind of took over this area as a, a, a world history, like not a world history her- her- heritage site, but as a, as a protective Protected, site. yes. And I think a lot of them disappeared after that. Hmm. It's odd, isn't it?
1: It's just mysterious disappearings. They probably got sucked into a wormhole.
0: I think they took a chisel to them. Oh, because there is a couple of the ones that still surviving show what appears to be portals. Ah, uh, see,
1: see, explains everything. Nothing strange going on here, people. Just the things we're losing getting sucked into portals. Move on, move so, along.
0: Kind of a cool thing I didn't know about the Ute people is they lived in extended family groups. Like the whole tribe lived in a whole area, right? Mm-hmm. But inside that area, they would be in you know in their own groups. Oh, that's cool. Communities. If, yeah, but much spread out, much more spread out than that. Okay. I don't know. When you kind of think of, you think of it more like a town or, you know, when you think of Native American settlements and stuff like that, you know, everybody's kind of close together and then they go out together and stuff. Yeah. They were much more spread out. Okay. In this. Uh, They lived in families from everywhere from 20 to 100 people. Like I said, very extended families. Mm -hmm. Uh, They traveled to seasonally specific camps. So they go up in the mountains during the summers and then come down, you know, in the winters. They also fished uh, many of the freshwater sources in the area. But yeah, it's just, life. they preserved a lot of stuff, everything from pine nuts to yucca, uh many seeds and berries. Ooh. Yucca's one I've never tried. The, I just seen it. I don't know. Yeah, it's I good. Just somebody eating it. Yeah, it's good. Any questions about the Utah people? Do you or the Ute people? Do you want to know anything more about them? I mean, unless you got more, like to I got share. tons. I mean um, Do you have a question about them? And, oh, here's I John Wesley Powell first became acquainted with the Utes along the White River in the northwest Ute, Colorado, in the fall of 1867. During his five-year expedition, he photographed Jack Hillier, captured this photograph of a young girl accompanied by a warrior, and they're on horseback, uh, painted with yellow and black stripes, and they're marked for battle.
1: Whoa, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would just, like I said, that'd be cool, living that life. Just fishing in the summers, just following the river. I don't know. Living in, like, a community of 100 people that are all cool.
0: Yeah, so like I said, once it's got horses, they did start attacking uh, other tribes. Yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, but, you know, it didn't fall good for them. No. But they had other enemies. The peewee, the pawwee, I think is how it's pronounced. Okay. And the Osage. It's spelled like the plant, so that's how I'm pronouncing it.
1: Okay, like the Osage orange.
0: Yeah. Uh, became enemies of the uh, most of the the Plains Indians, which are the Utes are included in that. Some Utes bands fought against the Spanish, though, uh, in some different battles. So the Utes—I mean, there was tons and tons of just battles out there in the West. Yeah, it didn't really matter. I just the path of the Skinwalker thing was important. Like everybody was fighting everybody.
1: Mm-hmm. It's important to know that too. Like
0: I just because it's the path of the Skinwalker said so much, and nobody ever talks about it. Like I said, the Navajo, now talking about the Navajo a little bit, uh, at the turn of the century the same time, were estimated to be I have 8,000 Navajo li- living in Utah. So they had about, or they had a little more Navajo actually living in Utah than the Utes did at the time. Okay. And that's probably because the Utes were decimated so fast after the Civil War. Yeah. Uh. But yeah.
1: Really dropped their numbers.
0: So the Utes and Navajo all live out there. Um, Just, they, they... The Navajo came from the north moving down. Okay. So they were much more north-oriented tribe. Uh, They were pretty much everywhere from the northwest part of North America. They came down into what is modern-day Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, and Utah. That's kind of where some of the conflicts started. But, yeah. And then there is a little bit of the Hopi mixed in, too. Okay. So researching this, there's a, a good mix of folklore, legends, from all three tribes.
1: Just crazy how much... I mean, you don't really sit back and think how much people were here before, you know, our history took foot here. And uh, what their history, you know, m- may have comprised of. or It's got to be full of so much stuff that we're just never going to know about.
0: Yeah, because they all, they all died because blankets.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's one of it. And then... We probably pitted them against each other, you know. And that's maybe
0: keep, I didn't explain that right with that. Yeah, it was definitely a pit against each other. Yeah. The U.S. government knew what they were doing. Absolutely. Like, yeah, help us
1: get rid of these Navajo, and then they got rid of the Utes. Yeah, exactly. Like, here you go. Here's a little bit of this. But, yeah, like like I said, you said they they knew what they were doing. So let's talk about some wars. Oh, boy. There's been a lot of wars out in, here. In just this area, like yeah. specific area? More around
0: that you, you went to Basin. Okay. I'm, I went a little liberal with some of them. Okay. Uh. On January 29th of 1863, Colonel Patrick Edward Connor, three hmm. first names, <laughs> that's that's a man you can't trust. Can't
1: trust it, yep.
0: And about two, or 200 uh, California volunteers attacked the Northwest Shoshone Wintering Village located in the conference of the Beaver Creek and Bear River, 12 miles west north of their village in Franklin and Catch Valley, a short distance away from what's present-day Utah-Idaho border. The band of about 450 Shoshone, under their chief bear hunter, had watched uneasily as Mormon farmers had moved into their Native or into their Native American homes in the Cache Valley in the spring of 1860, and now, three years later, had uh, appropriated all of the land and water of their verdant mountain valley. The young man of the tribe had struck back at the white settlers. This prompted... This isn't. That's not good.
1: No. Yeah.
0: You know the tribes that survived are the ones that just went with it.
1: Right. Well, survived longer. So survived longer. Yeah.
0: Longer. Sorry, I hit the mic. I got excited. <laughs> uh, so the young man struck back at the white settlers. That prompted the Utah Territory officers to call on Connor's troops to punish the Northwest Band of Native Americans. Before the colonel led his men to the camp Douglas at Salt Lake City, north at Bear River, he had announced. That he intended to take no prisoners. So he's gonna kill them. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I mean he, the bad. You know what's funny is a lot of a lot of Native Americans were portrayed as savages in early literature. Right, and look at it. and he comes in. I will take no prisoners. Yeah, right. Hey, could you punish us people? They they struck back because we're farming on their home.
1: Yeah, sure, I'll kill them.
0: <laughs> as the troops approached the Native American camp in the early morning of darkness of six a.m., they found the Shoshone warriors entrance behind a 10-foot uh, uh, eastern embankment on Beaver Creek, afterwards called Battle Creek. The volunteers suffered the uh, most of the 23 casualties in the first charge across the open plain in the front of the Sh- uh, Shoshone village. Colonel Conroe soon changed tactics, which resulted in a complete envelopment of the Shoshone camp by the soldiers who began firing on the Native American men, women, children uh, indiscriminately. They just killed everybody. Mm-hmm. By 8 a.m., the Native American men were completely out of ammunition. That last two hours of battle became a massacre as the soldiers used their revolvers. They shot down the Native Americans as they strolled through camp. Jeez. So they pretty much did this tactic where they just uh, waited, what, waited them out.
1: Weathered the storm.
0: Like, yeah, let them shoot. And then once they stopped shooting, they're like, all right, they're out.
1: All right, just go in there. Go in there with a handgun. Didn't matter if man, woman, child.
0: Approximately 250 of the 400 were slain, including 90 women and children. And after the slaughter ended, some of the undisciplined soldiers went to the Native American village. Uh, If you got kids in the car, this is the part you should turn it off for a second. Yeah. So some of the undisciplined soldiers that were slaughtering all these people decided that after they won, they started raping all the women in the village. And they used their axes to bash in the heads of women and children who were already dying from wounds. Jeez. Chief Bearhunter was killed along with uh, his his subsequent chief. The troops burned the 75 Native American lodges, recovered about 1,000 bushels of wheat and flour, and approximately 175 Tristoni horses. While the troops care, or cared for their wounds and took their dead back to Camp Douglas for burial, their bodies were left in the field for the wolves and the cows. That's just so awful. Although the Mormon settlement in Cache Valley expressed... Their gratitude for the movement of Colonel Connor had interviewed the, uh, of the Almighty in their behalf, the Bear River Massacre has been overlooked in Native American history because it's uh, occurred during the Civil War where more important where quote unquote more important struggles were taking place in the East. Oh my gosh. Of the six major Native American massacres in the far West, the Bear River one in 1863 to Wounded Knee in 1890. The Bear River Affair resulted in the most victims. Wow! And the event, which today deserves a greater attention than the mere sign, uh, presently you know, acknowledged on the sites.
1: Did not know that.
0: Isn't that isn't that crazy?
1: That's awful. That's yeah.
0: awful. Yeah. You know. I'm... Oh, it gets worse. Oh boy. I mean, so basically that one, this this tri- the Shoshone, which are also <sighs> there present in the Uinta Basin, right? Yeah. Uh, they don't. They don't. I want, they don't talk a lot to white people, and I don't know why. Uh, oh, you don't? <laughs> yeah. Don't
1: have any... No inkling. Has nothing to do with this most major massacre of Native Americans on our land. In the West. In the West. Oh, we killed a lot
0: more in the East.
1: Well, yeah, true. I mean, and on this land. on Yeah, in the West. Yeah. My gosh.
0: You know, I wonder why the country's haunted. Yeah. And I'm showing you that this uh, is important for maybe why the land is scarred.
1: Maybe. Maybe just maybe
0: uh raping women as you're bashing their heads in of their kids it's so awful with the blunt end of an axe
1: you know and yeah yeah it's just awful just complete yeah you i know, don't even know no words
0: so that's one i like, guess like it said pretty much nobody knows about
1: yeah i never heard about this before
0: and it literally because it was happening the exact same time with some other really big battles all right so it's easy to brush under the rug yeah yeah uh the black hawk wars Okay. Also in the area, the Black Hawk Indian Wars were the longest and most destructive conflict between pioneer immigrants and Native Americans in Utah's history. The traditional date of the war uh, is about the 9th of April, 1965. There's a little bit, you know, tensions were mounting for years before that, mm-hmm. so they kind of have a hard time of putting the actual start of the start conflict.
1: At, yeah, it makes sense. Because
0: they they hated each other. I wonder why. <laughs> On the date, uh, bad feelings were transformed into violence when a handful of youths, and Mormon uh, met at Marta St. County to settle a dispute over some cattle killed and consumed by Native Americans that were starving. <laughs> so this group of Native Americans were starving. They killed some cattle and ate them. And, and the Mormons were not happy. Right, which is
1: – yeah, okay, go on. Sorry.
0: An irritated and apparently uh, bad-tempered Mormon lost his temper and violently jerked a young chieftain from his horse – then insulted, uh, in, <laughs> and insulted them in Native American dialogue, which included a dynamic or dynamic young Utes named Blackhawks, apparently left their promising relationship. So, yeah, he got so mad. He was prone to violent outbursts. He told him off. He ripped him off his horse yeah. and was screaming in his face. In Native
1: American language. That's the chief. Yeah. Hmm. I thought Mormons were like,
0: I don't know nothing about Mormons. Me either, just, but I This just, is just history.
1: I thought they were, like, you know, good, decent...
0: So the threats he, he left were not idle. For over the course of the next few days, the Blackhawk and other Utes killed five Mormons and escaped to the mountains with hundreds of stolen cattle. Naturally, scored, <laughs> scores of hungry warriors and their families flocked to eat and they, uh, and the, to support the Blackhawks, who are, are suddenly hailed as war chieftains. Nice. So we talked a little bit about this with in our side of the country with Chief Cornstock and his father. Mm-hmm. His father was a war chieftain that kind of conquered a lot of tribes through force. Through force. And they all basically agreed he was the chieftain of everybody. Right. And his Chief Cornstock was the exact opposite. He was more through peace So that's what they these guys struck back hard enough that were a lot of the tribesmen felt all right, these are the war chieftains. Right. We're, we're going. Encouraged by their success and increasing power. Black, the Blackhawks continued their forrallies stealing more than 2,000 head of cattle and killing approximately 25 more white people that year. The young youths met are by no means had the support of all the Native Americans in the area. A bunch of them were saying don't do that That's a bad
1: idea. Oh, the Native Americans were saying that was they didn't like it
0: a bunch of the all about half and half half of them were done of being you know, subsided, yeah and starving to death right. And the other half were like, "No, if you do that, it gets way worse, bud." It's
1: honestly. This sounds very similar to modern times, like how we do war. Mm-hmm. It's it's you put you make these people uh, like the ones that are going out to kill, like these leaders – you know, killing the Mormon people and taking back what they were feel they were wronged, you know, and then that gives people a reason to support them because they're defending their spot in history, you know, their spot in that land or whatever. But then that, then now that gives the U.S. military justification to go in there and just slaughter everybody.
0: So this young Ute chieftain, like I said, by new it means had the support of everybody, all the Native Americans in Utah. Yeah. But his success did unite fractions of Ute, Paiute, right. and Navajo tribesmen who formed a very loose uh, confidence bent on plunging Mormons through the territory, purging Mormons through territory. Yeah. Cattle were the main objective of the Blackhawks' offenses by travelers herdsmen and settlers were massacred when they were con- when it was convenient okay uh, rough estimates indicate that 70 white people were killed during this conflict the year of 1965 to 1967 were by far the most intense of the conflict whoa whoa what year 18 okay 1865 okay. to 1867 <laughs> whoa whoa wait and i guess a mormon is, you're not supposed to call mormons latter day saints i think but that's oh. what the article's calling him, so that's what I was going with. So, Latter-day Saints considered themselves in a the state of open warfare against the Native Americans. They built scores of forts and, and deserted dozens of settlements with hundreds of Mormon militiamen chasing these uh, their adversaries into the wilderness with little—trying, but they was had little success. They were questioned. Federal troops were upheated for eight years, unable to distinguish guilty and friendly Native Americans— They frustrated the Mormons at time, so they started indiscriminately killing everybody. Yep, Including a lot of women and children. Yep. In the fall of 1867, the Blackhawks made peace with the Mormons without the leadership of the Native American forces, which uh, never operated as a combined front, and they fragmented even further. Mm -hmm. So basically, I don't know what happened to that chieftain, the war chieftain. Yeah. I think he, I couldn't find out, but I think he died. Probably got got. I think he got got. And then the everybody was like, "All right, uh, let's 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 not keep you killing all of our women and kids."
1: Yeah, let's figure this out. Uh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: So, intermediate ratings and killings, however, continued all the way up until uh, 18, 1872 when two thousand or two hundred federal troops were finally ordered to step in. Yep, here it comes. This is called an extermination, a genocide. Yeah, the Blackhawks were erupted as a result of the presence of so many white expansionists brought Native American populations. White settlement in Utah altered critical ecosystems that helped destroy the Native American substance po- patterns, which caused starvation. These soldiers were purposely going out, everything from rerouting rivers to all kinds of stuff, to kill the Native Americans secondhand. Mm-hmm. But yeah, these conditions were almost universal among the Western Native Americans during this time the sense of war could be viewed as an expression of the general Native American unrest in warfare that dominated the Trans-Mississippi West during the 1860s. Similar conflicts also occurred during the decades uh, between, Mor- or between Native Americans and non-Mormon settlers in Utah's territories as well. Hmm. This is just kind of the famous one is between the Mormons, which were in the, the Utah Native Americans.
1: Man, I just did not know there was this war between... Natives and the Mormon.
0: So after uh, the Black Hawk Wars are unique among this era's Western Indian Wars, as the existence between the United States government and the LDS Church, which Latter Day Saints, Saints, yeah, provided the Utah's natives with an opportunity to pursue their host to pursue their hostile activities for an extended period of time without incurring a swift and destructive military reprisal suffering by any other group. So what they're saying is. This lasted a little longer than most of the other ones. It's probably because it was in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. Because they were killing the rest of the Native Americans pretty much the second they killed a white person.
1: Gosh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of trauma in this area. Oh, there's more. Okay, there's still more. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, This was a part of the Black Hawk Wars, but the Circleville Massacre was another massacre. Uh, Basically, it started with... uh, It was the actual start of that battle. Okay. There was a massacre in there uh, where dozens if not hundreds of Native Americans were killed pretty much indiscriminately.
1: Yeah. They just didn't care. Literally – literal genocide.
0: The Walker War, although the Paiutes uh, worked out accommodations of sorts with the Mormon immigrants in the area, the settlers occupied the lands of the Utes used for hunting and gathering along with Mormons attempting to suppress the New Mexican trade route despite or to disrupt the economy and socia- and so- uh, society. So the Paiutes were pretty or trying to be chill. Okay. Uh because they knew it wasn't good. Right.
1: Well, it's like, "All right, we'll coexist."
0: Yeah, but the Mormons were destroying the Utes. hunting, ground hunting and grounds and collecting grounds and society. Grounds. Yeah. In uh, their economy, the trade they were doing with the Spanish through the south. Mm, okay. Uh which such high Co- uh, combustible tinder laid, which is just you know saying all the, all the,
1: hate. All this stuff leading up is leading up to a conflict. seemingly
0: isolated spark set the territory afire with war on July seventeenth of eighteen fifty three. Several youths were trading with James Iverson near their home in Springville when Iverson, irritated in a disruption between the Ute man and his wife over her failure to strike a good bargain bargain. Ivan tried to prevent the couple uh, in a competition from carrying the dispute into their his cabin. In the insulting melee, Ivan killed one of the men, revealing a, a Walkerson's name, uh, Shower Akat, is the Native American's man's name. It's I'm trying. Okay. It's spelled like shower, yeah. but I don't think it's pronounced like shower. Yeah, who knows? So, under orders of Colonel George A. Smith Captain and Captain Stephen S. Perry... Of the Springville militia, led the next day to the Walker's camp, five miles up Parison, uh Canyon, to try to modif- to try to mollify the outraged Ute tribe. Perry discussed the matter with the Utes for a time. Then, when he and his troops realized that they risked death at their hands of the infringed Utes, they beat a hasty retreat. Okay. So first they try to go up and.
1: So they sent Steve, try to- Steve Perry to negotiate. Yep.
0: Yep. From Journey. The Walker began, or the Walker bargained with the settlers, demanding the usual numeric retributions, the death of one Euro-American.
1: So, a death of a white guy?
0: Yes, because they killed one of their own.
1: Right, so an eye for an eye.
0: Yep. Fair. The settlers refused, obviously, they pay the price. And the two Warican, Waricon, uh, associated chiefs, Aperian and Warishit. Shaka Waricon? <laughs> no. No. Oh. Opposed, uh. Opposed compensation, taking some of their fellows to Payson. Uh, they killed a general named Alexander nee Recognizing that nee's death would bring the wrath of the Mormon settlement on his followers, Orkhan led his people to fight in Paris and County, or Canyon. On their way, they fixed, or they fired on settlers' cabins and stole over 20 head of cattle and six horses. So basically, they wouldn't pay their tribute or their their retributions, so they're like, well, they're going to come kill us because they killed a guy. Right. Uh, they're going to come fight. We don't want them to fight at the homestead. We're going to take them into this canyon and fight. Okay. Yeah. see
1: how this ended.
0: So General Wells apparently recognized the gravity of this clash, deciding to return the bloodshed of 1849 and 1850. Wells ordered Coven to, dispute his, or to disband his troops and and act entirely on the defensive, quote-unquote. Before he received the order, however, Conover had sent out a, piss or a, a, par, a parole to attack the Ute camps in the through Mount Pleasant. And the, uh, the militiamen killed six uh, Native Americans in the skirmish. Okay. Yep. yep. After receiving Wells' orders, uh, they appeared to return to the Ute Valley. By the meantime, Wells and uh, a young man issued further orders, to anticipate even more through disarrangement, ordering General George A. Smith to assume command of all units of the Salt Lake County and instructed the settlers to abandon small outlaying settlements because they were going to war. Mm -hmm. So basically, yeah, the short version. This one's a big, long one. Uh, In October 2nd of 1853, after uh, eight of the nine Utes that were a part of the the original skirmish came forth seeking protection— A group of townspeople slaughtered them all like dogs. Jeez. And they reported the murders uh, as deaths in the skirmish.
1: Okay, just casualties of war.
0: Yeah, they actually started... I mean, this one's a big one. I'm just going to kind of start... It lasts for a couple years. Dang. Uh, They kill hundreds. Yeah. Uh, Most of the time, it's, you know, once again, men, women, children. Uh,
1: (laughs) That's funny what you just said. What? Most of the time, it's men, women, or children. I meant women and children. Yeah, I figured that's what you meant.
0: (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I mean, I don't...
1: They left the non-binary uh, natives alone. There you go. They didn't touch them.
0: That's the end of part one.
1: Wow. Okay.
0: So that ended on a not a dark, well on a dark note. Season finale. Yay. No. So I don't know. It just it's where the research took me. There's there's a lot of bloodshed in this area? Well, let's just the whole episode. Quick over
1: scope of the whole thing. You know, we have the the ground. The ground is itself. evil. It, well. That's, and there's been a lot of blood on it. That's it, true. That part, yes. So the I ground. I wonder has, why there's what?
0: so much stuff out there.
1: Well, the like you said, it's t- geological anomalies. There's I a lot guess, of
0: serious really, and honestly, there's a lot of weird things with the geology,
1: which draws in appairs, apparently draws in meteorites and things like that uh, land here, um, and a lot of uh, weird phenomena to occur here. You know, whether it be ball lightning or whether it be, uh, you know figures of dark entity, hairy, upright, running figures. Just a lot of anomalous things.
0: And we found out where the path of Skinwalker term comes from. Because yes. I've seen that everywhere, and it bothered me so much I couldn't find it. Where it and then originated. once I found out why, I was like, okay, that's why nobody talks about it.
1: Makes sense. And, yeah, we find out the natives that lived here, the conflict that happened between them. A lot of them, conflict,
0: a lot of conflict.
1: And then the conflict between them and uh, the Mormons and white people in general. That just the new people moving in.
0: So I don't have a good number of people before... The Mormons settled... That, the reason the Mormons are so prevalent is they settled Utah. Right, yeah. So that's why they're so prevalent. And it could have been any other group of white people. like. But they were the chosen they were the ones, ones there, there. that land, and, you yeah. Know, uh,
1: they're like the... Well, never mind. I better not.
0: So, yeah, and a, lot of, a lot of crack skulls of kids. Yeah. You know, that, to me, doesn't do well for... No, the psychological
1: environment, which it's still happening today, like modern day, like it's.
0: So think back to all the way season one finale. We did the same thing, talked about the same thing. All the wars that started yeah. in Point Pleasant, yeah, all the bloodshed. Whether you know some of it was Native American on Native American conflict like this, and some of it was Native American and white settler conflict like this, yeah. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of the Native Americans were just like, "Hey, don't don't fight back. It's not good. We right, yeah. see what
1: happens." So is this is this all this is war, man influence, or is it is it a product of the environment? See,
0: that's what I was getting to at the end of this episode. Is this the cause of the paranormal activity, or is this a symptom?
1: Mm. Stay tuned for the rest of the season five four finale.
0: <laughs> season four finale. Yeah, I have been the great and powerful.
1: Mystery And I've been clone 37
0: We'll catch you next week, guys, with more of the Uinterface and spookiness. Bye! Thank you for listening to Crips of the Corn podcast. Please share with a friend you think would like us. It's the best way to help our show grow. Leave a comment, rate us, a five-star review, and remember, there is always extra content on Patreon slash com. And don't forget, stay magical!